It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey guys, welcome to the Tapping Road. My name is Matt. My name's Freddie. Each week we bring you your rugby fix with interviews with past and present rugby professionals and we get their views on the latest. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Tap and Go. We've got a real treat for you today. Our guest today enjoyed a long and glittering career playing rugby union. He featured at club and international level for Auckland and the All Blacks respectively. He won countless accolades on both fronts, including eight national provincial championships and a World Cup. Six years into his professional career, he was bestowed the honour of the New Zealand captaincy, serving as leader of one of the world's finest sports teams. He remained in this post until his retirement in 1997 and has lauded as one of New Zealand's top ten players in their history. It's of course the one, the only, Sean Fitzpatrick. What a treat this next half hour or so will be for us. Sean, how are you? I'm very good, guys. Um, we're down in uh, New Zealand at the moment, so uh, we've enjoyed a. You know, we came down to New Zealand. We sort of come. We live in London, and we sort of spend every Christmas uh, in this beautiful part of the world. And um, we normally come down for sort of a month or so. Uh, we've been here nearly six months, uh, and uh, we're heading back end of well next week actually. So uh, looking forward to getting back to London. But uh, really enjoyed our our time here and sort of COVID-free New Zealand, which is just so bizarre considering what else is going on around the world. So we want to start off by sort of asking about your career and starting there. So how, how do you get into rugby? How did, how did it all start? <laughs> I think I, I sort of grew up in the 60s and 70s in New Zealand. And, you know, there's just the way life was in those days. Rugby was the, the main sport, which, you know, it's our, our national game here. Um, and in the 60s and 70s, you know, that's, that's what we did. And, you know, the rugby clubs were very much part of the community. It's a community-based community game. So, you know, the, the rugby club and where I came from in Auckland here was, you know, the centre of, of the community, really. And and that's how I got into it, I suppose. Like every other kid, we, you know, we played, played rugby at lunchtime. We got home. We had test matches on the back back lawn, trying trying to emulate our our stars, which were were the All Blacks, and and I might, I might even say in those those days it was the British and Irish Lions after that great tour here in '71. Uh, my father was an All Black, so that obviously that obviously helped in terms of the genes, I suppose. But you know we just just we were just normal kids growing up. 
you know, street rugby, kicking the ball over the power lines, you know, dive passing, sidestepping, uh, just just enjoying life. Yeah, so obviously one of your main things, one of the, so you're, you're a captain of the All Blacks. We're wondering, sort of, looking back at the game of rugby as it is in the modern day compared to when you were captain, do you think the role of a captain's changed, especially with, like, the development of the distractions away from the game? Um, yeah, I think I think that's a challenge for the players today. I, I, you know, some of the challenges they have today we didn't have in terms of in terms of social media and and obviously the money that is involved in the game now. Um, you know, when I started playing for the All Blacks, you know, I was I'm I'm a, a builder by trade. That's what we did. You know, we'd, we'd train at six o'clock in the morning, run to work, you know, work on the building site all day, then then run home and go to training. Uh, that was that was our life, and we had a, we absolutely loved it. Um, you know, we didn't have gyms in those days. We, you know, I didn't start going to the gym until after the World Cup in '91. So that was you know six years into my All Black career, I've never been to a gym. So you know, I think I think life was pretty simple in terms of of rugby. Um, you know, I, I you know I think you know obviously I'm still involved in in the club game, and and have a little bit to do with the All Blacks. But you know, I. It's very similar, to be honest. At the end of the day, it's about winning. It's a performance-based game. And, you know, we had some great success, um, you know, with the university and then with Auckland. And, and then that flowed onto the All Blacks. Um, and, and it was enjoyable. And I guess one player that you had the pleasure of playing with is sort of the great Jonah Lomu. And um, sort of, I guess, for, especially for me and Freddie, looking back, we were, we, we were too sort of young to be able to fully appreciate what or the things that he did for the game. But I just wanted to ask, what was it like sort of playing with him, sort of, I guess, on the field, but also what was he like as a teammate off the field? Yeah, Jonah, you know, he was a, he was a very humble man. Uh, and surprisingly, you'd be surprised by this, he was very shy. Um, and he used to express himself on the field. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to play with Jonah. You know, he came into the All Blacks. And, you know, I remember seeing him in 1993 at Carisbrook. We were playing Australia. One Saturday afternoon, the New Zealand secondary schools were playing the Australian secondary schools um, in the curtain raiser before our game. And I remember watching in, in the space of 20 minutes that this number eight scored three tries for New Zealand um, secondary schools. And we all said, you know, who, who is this number eight? And it was a one Jonah Lomu. And little do we know that eight months down the road in 94, he'd be playing for the All Blacks on the wing as the youngest All Black ever. Um, and he had his challenges, obviously, in terms of, you know, firstly playing on the wing. He'd never never been a winger before, uh, so that was a new a new game for him. And obviously, without us knowing, he had his kidney kidney disorder, um, which was a major a major hurdle for him in terms of loading fitness. Um, but you know, to to do what he did and to to get into the All Blacks, you know, in '95, where he'd been sent away because he, he wasn't fit enough, so he'd been sent to play sevens, believe it or not, and it was only through an injury that he went to the World Cup in '95. And you know, we wanted to be the fittest and fastest team at the World Cup. Um, you know, we had a quite a small team, um, but we we're hugely fit and fast, and we played this high tempo game that we were we were going to recycle the ball really quickly to try and break down defences and then spread the ball wide uh, to our little nippy wingers, who was uh, one Jeff Wilson and one Eric Rush. Uh, with Rushy getting injured, uh, it gave Jonah the opportunity and and he just, just it was just a sensation at the World Cup. And I always say that he, he is 
even to this day, he's the only global superstar. You know, Matt, you're in, you're in Boston. Everyone knew who Jonah Loma was in, was in Boston after the World Cup in 95. Um, so he was our only global superstar. And what people don't realise, like like you guys, you sort of think, you know, he had years in the All Blacks. He literally became a world superstar in the space of five games. Uh, at that World Cup, and then we played uh, we played Australia at the end of '95, and then we went to France, uh, and he he was just on fire, and and that's that was Jonah. And then the following year, unfortunately, you know he he didn't make the Test team, um, but he was the most wonderful man, great team man. Uh, you know he was the first one who made real money out of the game, uh, but it didn't change him. Uh, he was a total team man, uh, as I said, very humble, very shy, um, but a, a great asset, and you know we, we miss him dearly. His impact that World Cup can't be underdone. His four tries against England. Do you think without him, the All Blacks could would have still done as well as they did at that World Cup? I think you know he he, he had a major influence without question. Um, but I think the style of rugby we were playing, uh, the world hadn't really seen that sort of rugby played before uh, like that. And yeah, I, you know, I, I would like to think that uh, we would have done as well. Uh, but I don't know if we would have scored some of the tries that he scored. Um, but yeah, he was he was you know a great asset, as I said, to have in our our team in '95 without question. I guess when you're talking about sort of growing up in New Zealand and sort of the rugby culture behind it, and so I guess New Zealand's sort of known as like there's no other place in the world for it with such a deep history, and it's been sort of accredited with one of the uh, main reasons behind why the All Blacks are so popular because of this sort of culture. Um, and then you actually uh, spoke about when you joined the Scarlets, this was the closest thing to New Zealand. Um, why why mm. would you say that? I think as I, as I spoke about at the start, Matt, I think that, that community-based game is really important. And that's, you know, at the moment we've got a real challenge here in New Zealand with uh, grassroots rugby and the community-based games um, because we, we need funding. Uh, and hence, hence why the private equity is, you know, the New Zealand Rugby is looking at Silver Lake um, to invest in, or Silver Lake's looking to invest in New Zealand Rugby, which is which is needed at the moment. And 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 the Scarlets, as I said, West Wales uh, is the only game in town. Uh, there's no football in West Wales, and and rugby. I just just love seeing, you know, you, know, you look at the, the the list of sponsors of the Scarlets there. They're everyone that you know the little shops on the high streets, the butcher, uh, the pharmacy, all these places, uh, and it means so much to them. Um, you know, not just the Scarlets, but you know, the four regional teams, and and obviously Wales winning the Six Nations this year. You can just see the outpouring of love for the team, uh, which I love. I absolutely love. I love going down there and seeing what it means to people. You know, going to the little clubs. You know, within the Scarlets region. And and seeing you know how they have such pride on their in their jerseys, which is which is very similar to here in New Zealand. You know we're very tribal, um, but ultimately, like Wales, uh, the national team is 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 crucial to to growing the game. Um, to have those Jonah Lomas, uh, to have those stars that that the young kids, you know, like I did, running around the backyard with my brother. Um, pretending I was an All Black or pretending I was Gareth Edwards, uh, as it was in our day. You touched on how important the game is for New Zealand and looking back at Wales, and you talked about the Six Nations. How crucial do you think this some final form for Wales will be coming up in the next couple of years leading up to the World Cup again? 
Well, I think it's, you know, we're in the middle of a cycle at the moment and, and, and the World Cup is the most important thing uh, for, for the players today and the coaches. And, you know, the coaches are judged on, on World Cups, their success in World Cups. And, and you know, I, I just think that now we've got, we've got some real challenges. The All Blacks, you know, year in, year out, have been ranked the number one team in the world now. Uh, the other teams are, are, are getting better without question. You know, and it's not a you know it's not a home run in terms of the All Blacks winning in 2023, and you know with this pandemic, obviously that's that's sort of up, upsetting. Um, you know the, where the game's going at the moment is you know South Africa hasn't played a game since you know 2019, so um, it's going to be really interesting times. But teams are getting better. The analysis, uh, the way the game's been played, uh, the way they view the All Blacks. Um, so, you know, Ian Foster and his team are, are going to have to to work really hard um, to beat teams like France, to beat teams like Wales, you know, South Africa, obviously England, you know, the job they did in the All Blacks in the, in the semi-final um, was a real eye-opener to a lot of to a lot of New Zealand fans who, who didn't really see that coming. If, you know, if, you know, us living in the UK, um, we sort of saw that coming. Where a lot of people in this part of the world didn't didn't see England um, in terms of having that game. In the... What went wrong for New Zealand that day, in your opinion? I I, well, I think you know we didn't have a great day, um, and England had 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 their World Cup final day, and that's that's always the. The pressure that's on the All Blacks that you know every game the All Blacks play, the opposition play a World Cup final um, because you know they want to beat the All Blacks. And if we are five ten percent off our game, you know we're going to lose. And and a couple of players that day, and and probably the team in general, will be really disappointed in that performance <coughs> that we couldn't get into the game. We couldn't get our game going. And it's sort of been 18 months since the, that World Cup and sort of, I guess we've had a bit of a brief pause with the virus and everything, but we saw, we saw a quick glimpse of sort of what the All Blacks are like with the, the appointed new head coach Ian Foster. Do you think New Zealand rugby is sort of heading in the right direction and in sort of the, at a good rate or sort of how, how have the, basically what were the changes, the major changes between the All Blacks of 2019 to today? Um, I think I think there's a number of personnel changes that you know in terms of you know some players have, have moved on, um, but we haven't played any haven't played a test you know, since last year. So um, you know this year we haven't played any test rugby at all. So um, that's that's difficult to gauge where we're at. We've got our um, yeah. Super Rugby going on on at the moment, and there's been some fantastic games in that um, over the last few weeks. Um, but there's a you know. There's there's still still a huge depth of players here, but but until we get to that stage of playing international rugby, it's really hard to gauge where you're at, um, because you might have good Super Rugby players or good you know Premiership Gallagher Premiership players or top fourteen or 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 those sort of players that are good at that level, but you don't you don't know what it's like until they get into that cauldron of Test rugby, and and some players get exposed, you know some players don't want to step into that unknown. Um, but you never, you don't experience that until until you play those tight games. And how do you how do you think sort of the Super Rugby? <coughs> sorry, <coughs> how do you think the Super Rugby is doing? Sorry, Frey. <laughs> I'll ask um, the question myself. Should I? How do I think the Super Rugby is oh, going? How, well, how, it's really interesting. <laughs> it's really interesting because you know we've got teams now. The Crusaders have been beaten twice in the last few mm. weeks. 
Oh, they just won last week with a with a golden goal. Uh, so, if you're not from Canterbury, everyone's pretty pretty excited about what's going on. The Chiefs have just had an unbelievable turnaround and performance. You know, they're full on the trot now. Mm. Uh, so, you know, that's really, you know the Crusaders are obviously going to be the team to defend. Uh, they're going to play in the final. At, at, well, it's almost certain they're, they're going to make the final. And it's now you know a toss up between you know three other teams, or definitely the Blues and the Chiefs. Um, who's going to get that other spot in the final? Do you sort of enjoy the format with just the New Zealand teams? I, I think last year was a real novelty, hmm. uh, and yeah, I think you can see that by the crowds that are that are turning up. Last year, everyone was pretty excited by it. Um, I think we're now looking forward now that the, the two Pacific Island teams have been been uh, approved, um, and and hopefully um, Australia will go with it also to have you know suit back to Super Twelve uh, for next year. Um, that'll be really exciting. I think I think the Fijians uh, and the Moana Pacifica team are going to really bring a different flavour, um, and it's great great for the islands to have to have teams like that to have Fiji based in Fiji. Um, it's going to be really exciting. I think what, one thing which has been highlighted with just having the New Zealand teams play the New Zealand teams is the huge amounts of prospects that the New Zealand rugby system has got coming through the root ground routes. There's so many people who have broken onto the scene, even if it's just their club in the last 12 months. How exciting a time is this for looking at youngsters who are going to break into the All Blacks in the next 12, 18 months? Yeah, well, well, I think it's, as, as we're talking about mid-cycle going forward, what we need to find is, is those players that can go to the next level. Whether Hoskins or Tutu, for example, can can be the number eight at the World Cup in, in 2023. Um, you know, those those sort of questions are going to be be answered, Freddie, um, by playing these games. Because I tell you what, there's nothing they're holding nothing back in terms of you know the Aaron Smiths of the world. He he wants that jersey. You know, there's another couple of young halfbacks that are playing really well. Um, so everyone's fighting, and, and and as I said, without without a lot of Test rugby, these guys are totally focusing on on playing for the Highlanders or playing for the Blues, Crusaders. Um, to make to make their mark because you know there's as, as you just said there's a lot of talent around um, but you need to be noticed uh, they're working really hard as with Grant Fox last week who's who's one of the All Black selectors you know and they're watching very closely there's some young kids that I that I won't mention but they're watching some young kids that even I hadn't really heard about um, <laughs> that that are real prospects for 2023. And I guess one of the another prospect that we heard news a few weeks ago is I guess the Roger Tuivasa-Shek moving over from the Warriors yeah. to the Blues. Is this is this sort of what what should we expect from this? Um, I don't. I, to, to be honest, I don't know a lot about Roger. Obviously, living here in Auckland and, and the Warriors, the Warriors had a great game yesterday. Hmm. Um, they beat St George, and, and Roger was the, the star player in the game. Um, so he's he's you know. Um, He's going to be a great addition to the All Blacks, or dare I say it, firstly to Auckland. Um, there's no guarantees that he's going to get in the All Blacks. Um, but the people that I've spoken to about him, um, they reckon he's got the best feet in the game in both codes in terms of what he, what he can do. Um, he's had, had a stellar um, uh, rugby league career. He came from rugby, played schoolboy rugby, so he understands the game. Um, they, they're thinking they'll probably play him at 12 uh, inside centre. Um, so that's pretty exciting. So he, he'll join join the Auckland NPC team. Uh, I think from September they start playing. 
uh, and it'll be ex you know, really exciting to see to see how he goes. Um, but also on the back of that, also uh, Matt is is the the audience that he'll bring with him. Uh, yeah, his social social media following those platforms. He is he is a huge name here in New Zealand. Yeah, in both codes. Um, so he's going to bring a a lot of people with him. Um, so people like you, you can watch on different platforms and and see see what what he can do. But yeah, it's exciting times. But he's you know he's got to earn a spot. You know, playing thirteen and playing against thirteen men is is a lot different than playing against fifteen men in terms of space that you're given. Um, so yeah, I'm really interested to see how he goes. What what are your views on the players who sort of in the last twelve months have been playing in Japan, they've been playing in the Japanese league, and now coming back to the New Zealand rugby? Is that a good thing for New Zealand rugby coming back? Will they've learned stuff? I about think, yeah, yeah, we, we, I, I quickly mentioned that private equity at the start. Um, you know, the reason, we, the reason we need private equity is probably, there's a, there's a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is to keep our, our leading All Blacks here in New Zealand um, and, and not necessarily have to have sabbaticals where they, they go to Japan, have a year off, so the Retallics of the world, the, the Barretts of the world, uh, TJ Perinara. Um, we really want them playing here in New Zealand. Um, so financially, it's it's obviously for them to keep them in New Zealand. We have to give them these sabbaticals. Um, otherwise, you know, they'll be gobbled up by the French clubs of the world or, or the English clubs um, of the world, and we won't see them playing Test rugby. So uh, yeah, it's working at the moment. You know, you know, Bowden Barrett uh, is playing sensational rugby up here at the moment. I think he's sort of cut him to shreds. Um, and hopefully they'll come back rested and, and ready to go for next year. You know, Retallica's, you know, he's world-class. He's probably, for us, he's probably been the biggest loss not having him around uh, because he is seriously world-class um, in terms of, of what he can do. And do you think, so I guess the game is ever getting sort of more physically rigorous and sort of, are these sabbaticals, are they sort of almost necessary for these players, especially if they've been playing at such a high level for so long, or do you not think so? Yeah, I think a, a, you know a player like Brady Retallick can't you know year in year out. If we want to get another World Cup out of him, he needs to to be rested, and uh, so that's you know that's sensible um, because the game is physical. It's more physical now. They're sort of they're trying to depower it a bit, especially at the collision area. Um, you know, with with the referees getting a lot more involved uh, and trying to depower that that area of the game, which I think is good because um, we can't continue to have injuries and, and obviously the safety factor in terms of, of the head injuries is a is a major, major talking point at the moment. And I guess you sort of mentioned briefly sort of like the, the likes of Retallics and so on and I guess New Zealand's so sport for choice in um, a variety of positions but one that sort of keeps coming up as debate is the fly half position with the Bowden Barrett, Richie Moonga debate mm. um, and do you carry on with this dual axis or do you just have one at 10 and drop the other? What's your sort of stance on this? I, I personally think it works. Mm. You know, it's not, <laughs> that wasn't the reason we lost to England. You know, yeah. Uh, um, I, I quite like it, you know. If, if Moanga and, and Barrett can work together, and, and you, if you actually studied it, and, and I'm sure a lot of people have the analysis around in terms of the number of times Barrett receives the, the ball at ten, or he's the first receiver, um, is quite high. Um, so I personally, I personally like it. Um, you know, and, and that's you know that's up for debate. But you know, Ian Foster and Grant Fox and Co. They they know what they want, the style of rugby they want to play. 
you know, you, and you could, the argument is that, you know, Barrett had his biggest influence when he came off the bench. You know, when he started his career, he, he had a huge impact off the bench. And, you know, that's, and I'm sure coaches today are looking, looking at that. Uh, when the team's fatigued, why not bring in your best players then? Um, so, yeah, I, I'm sure they'll keep, you know, you know, the armchair critics in New Zealand and around the world will keep debating, with, you know, whether Barrett, best number 10 in the world, should be playing at 10 or, or Moanga. Uh, who, who's been in scintillating form for the Crusaders um, will start at 10. But it's a nice it's a nice problem to have, Matt, to have, have two world-class 10s. Um, you know, there is a, is a really nice problem for the all-black selectors to have. One other nice problem is another position is obviously your opposition, Hooker. You've obviously got the likes of Dane Coles and Cody Taylor, but you've also got the youngsters of us, um, who are they? got Amur coming through and uh, Samasoni. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that position? Because they've, I mean, they've got more options than anyone else. Yeah, I think they were really lucky, and I, I don't know if you saw overnight, but you know, Dane Coles has resigned to 2023. Yeah. Um, after after sort of talking about possibly retiring, he's he is a huge asset to the All Blacks uh, and New Zealand rugby, and and we're thrilled that he's resigned. That's that's really cool. And, and Cody Taylor's just, you know, you know, has been in great form. Uh, during Super Rugby, and, and as you said, there's a, there's a number of young kids that are coming through. Um, and by 2023, it's a long time. You know, it's another two years of rugby, so the young names that you mentioned um, will be given an opportunity, I'm sure. You know, Amor, Amor has been around for a little while. He's got a few test caps. Uh, he's a he's a he's a huge man. Uh, but we'll just see see what happens over the next two years. Mm, of course. And I guess, yeah, so we're, we're, we're in this new um, cycle. And I guess one thing that came up a couple of years ago is after Steve Hansen left, it was obviously, um, uh, sorry, <laughs> I have a mind blank. Ian Foster, of course. Ian yep. Foster just jumped in. Um, was he, do you think he was the right uh, person to choose as opposed to sort of Scott Robertson or perhaps any other coach? Yeah, there's, there's, there's two. I, I personally think he was the right choice. Um, yeah. he's, he's in the system. Uh, he's well-liked. Um, he, he has a great mind uh, in terms of developing game plans. And a lot of the game plans the All Blacks have been putting in place for the last number of years. Um, the players like him. So, you know, why, why would you change him? Uh, and the reason to change is, is to have total change. The yeah. new voices. Uh, and that's, that's the Scott Robinson argument. And he's done a phenomenal job at Super Rugby level, and uh, and you know his time will come. Um, but I think at the moment, and you know, a lot of people would say, well, you know, who would want to follow on from Steve Hansen in terms of what he achieved? He, he left the All Blacks in such a great great order. Yeah, we didn't win the World Cup in 2019, but that to me doesn't reflect on what Steve Steve Hansen did for for New Zealand rugby. He, he just. He is a great servant of New Zealand rugby. Uh, he loves the all-black jersey. Um, and he, you know, we talk about handing the jersey back in a better condition than what we got of him. He has definitely done that without question. Uh, so Ian Foster's got a, he's got a, a tough, tough act to follow. You know, it's just like, you know, it's like Wayne Peebak taking over Wales, you know. It's, mm. it's not an easy job, but that's, that's fine. That's cool. That's, that's what they did a job for. And as I said earlier, it's a, it's a result-driven business. So, you know, Ian will be judged on that when he, when he finally gets to play a game. 
sticking on the theme of coaches, I think you spoke quite recently about Eddie Jones as well and the pressure that he's now slowly coming under because he's sort of been underperforming since that World Cup. What are your thoughts on, I think you said that the RFU can't afford to get rid of him, but potentially a replacement in the future when you think he'll potentially step back from the role? I don't know. He's, he's obviously, I, you know, he hasn't had a great run on the, on the Six Nations, obviously. Uh, and not a great run, to be honest, since, since the World Cup, which he did a phenomenal job. Um, I, actually, I actually like what Eddie's done. I think he's been really good for English rugby. And that's not just English rugby as a, sorry, the, the first team, the international team, but, but rugby in general throughout, you know, the premiership and, and, and the number of players he's had a huge influence on and changing, changing the way they prepare to play rugby. And that's, I think, you know, one of the, the question marks over English rugby in years gone by is the preparation of the players, you know, in terms of that, you know, desire to wear the England jersey, yeah, that's fine. But how do you prepare um, to deliver week in, week out? You deliver for your club. You know, no matter who you are, you play. I always remember him saying that, you know, you play well for England, but you've got to go back to the club and back, back it up and play well for your clubs. And if you don't do that, I'm not going to pick you. God, I've never heard that before. Um, which, which I think is good. So I think all in all, he's done a, a phenomenal job in developing the game in England. Um, but it's hard work. And a lot of these players, uh, have, you know, have finally realised that to be the best player in the world is not easy. Uh, I think that's what, what Eddie's brought um, to the way they prepare. So, you know, it's mid-cycle again. Um, I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure they won't change him. And, and as you said, whether they can afford to change him or not, that's another question. Um, but he, I, I think he'll be at the next World Cup without question, coaching England. When the time comes, who could be a possible replacement? Do you think? I, you know, I, you know, that's this is an international job now. You know, the Rob Baxters of the world, those sort of people who have been, you know, around the Gustads of the world. Um, you know, there's a, there's a number of England coaches um, that, that are doing incredibly well um, coaching club rugby. Um, you know, I think it's about getting experience. I think that's one thing New Zealand does really well in terms of their pathway. Um, they send send them offshore uh, to get experience. You look at you look at Ronan Nagara, for example. Mm. You know, the, the the benefit that he has gained from going to the Crusaders. Uh, he probably took a huge cut in wage to go there. Um, learned so much there. He's now gone to La Rochelle. Uh, doing really well there, and, and he's just broadened his horizon rather than just staying coaching Munster or, or whatever. Um, he's actually gone out and he's learning different skills, and I think that's what you know. The number of New Zealand coaches around the world, um, they learn, they they go offshore, and they you know it's not easy. Um, as we talk about in terms of the players, it's it's hard. It's hard work being a, being a, a coach, um, but you've got to get experience, and that's maybe something that we're not doing that well in in the UK. Yeah. And I guess sort of when you when you look at all the international coaches in the world, I think it's fair to say that sort of the New Zealand as a nation sort of dominate um, where these coaches are from. If you look, at, I guess, obviously in Foster, Jamie Joe mm. and so on. Um, what is that? Is that because they go abroad or is it because of the culture back home or what, what makes sort of. I, I think they learn. They, they learn really well here, Matt, to start yeah. with. I think that, you know, they, the, most of the, the, the good coaches have come right through from from. The low, the, the little schoolboys, you know, to first fifteen rugby, then to, to club rugby, hmm. then to provincial rugby, ITN Cup, uh, and then and then maybe if they're lucky enough to get a, a Super Rugby job, um, and and then they they head offshore. You know, the Dave Rennies of the world, for example, 
um, you know, Wayne Smith, for example, Graham Henry, for example, Steve Hansen, you know, Jamie Joseph, as you mentioned, Warren Gatlin, um, Warren Gatlin they, they, you know, they, they all travelled. Um, and, and, you know, some of them have been luckier than others, but, you know, mm. you know, it's, it's important to gain experience and you don't just get it by, by staying, staying in, in your hometown and where it's comfortable. We've got a couple more questions left, but we want to sort of take a step back and look at, I guess, the All Blacks and rugby as a whole. And I was sort of wondering who, in your opinion, was the greatest All Black ever? The greatest All Black ever? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm an anarchist. I love, I love the All Blacks. Um, I loved all the history of it. The Dave Gallagher, our first All Black captain. Um, you know, the Colin Meads of the world, Brian Lahore. You know, you mentioned Jonah Lomu, Michael Jones, Sir John Kerwin. Um, I, I just love, you know, I, I was fortunate. I played in, you know, a really special era of New Zealand rugby um, and played with some of the most phenomenal athletes you'd ever, ever play with and, and some really good people. Um, you know, there's Zinzan Brooks of the world. So, you know, who's the greatest all? But I, it's a hypothetical question, you know. In an era, you know, Colin Meads was probably the greatest all black in his era. You know, John Alomu might have been the greatest in his time. You know, Richie McCaw, just, you know, what Richie did. You know, to play 149 internationals. I think he started in the 148 internationals, you know, to win two World Cups. You know, it's it would be hard to go past Richie. Um, but, you know, I, I, look at, I look at great All Blacks and think, you know, which, you know, what to, to be a great All Black, you have to be able to get in the World 15. Um, that's how I, you know, in terms of, of great All Blacks. But no, I... I couldn't name one of them because they're all they're all bloody good. <laughs> I mean, if anyone having yeah, that conversation, I think, I think yeah, my time too. We we uh, we sort of changed from, and yeah, the Steve Hansons of the world, Grant Henry, Laurie Maines, you know, John Hart, those sort of coaches, you know, Brian Lahore, they were big on picking good people. You know, we might might not have been the greatest All Blacks, um, but they wanted teams of good people, and I, and I think that's something that sh- that we hold dear to ourselves. Is, is humility, um, and you know we don't we don't really talk about great All Blacks. We don't we don't even have reunions for individual teams. We have we have reunions for All Blacks. We don't have a, a reunion for the '96 All Black team that won, or the '1987 All Blacks, you know, or the '19. You know, we just have an All Black reunion, which sort of typifies that you know we're you know once an All Black, always an All Black, and. You know, it's about it's about the jersey. It's not about one individual team or one individual person. So that's really that, got around your tricky question, Matt. Yeah, almost <laughs> impossible. That demonstrates why the All Black sort of background is got the legacy it does. Um, before we close, we've got one question which we asked the majority of our guests, and that is what your favourite moment in rugby is. It could be either from your career or something that's happened since that you've watched and thought that is in rugby. Whatever. Oh, yeah, totally. I'm really I'm really fortunate because I, I, I like sport. <laughs> <laughs> and and I obviously love rugby. Um, you know, I've been to I, I've been to every World Cup, either as a player or, or as a as a working with ITV or as a as a fan. Um, and I think every World Cup has got better and better. Uh, you know, I think the World Cup in Japan was you know I was so fortunate to be at that. I just thought it was the most brilliant World Cup um, in Japan, and they just the best hosts ever, um, and some some of the best rugby. Um, World Cup cricket final one day. That was pretty cool. I went to that at Lords, although we lost. <laughs> great um, day. A great day. It was, it was an amazing <laughs> day of sport. So 
I love that. So, you know, I was there with the family. And then and then this year, uh, being here in New Zealand and, and watching the America's Cup on the, on the harbour out here uh, in the Gulf uh, was just, in terms of seeing New Zealand celebrate the, when we won that last race. Um, so that was pretty cool. Uh, you know, Burling and those guys have just done a, you know, just did a phenomenal job. Uh, but it was a good, it was a great day of sport. So um, that's so. Uh, if I have to name a rugby sporting moment, it was probably when we won in in, Loft, in Loftus Vestfeld in nineteen ninety six, uh, the first time an All Black team had won there on on tour, and to to win a series in South Africa. Um, for me, uh, that made a lot of old All Blacks very happy. Uh, there's a guy called Don Clark, who's one of our, our great All Blacks. Uh, he's sadly he's not with us any longer. Uh, on that day in June, I, I walked back in the tunnel at Loftus Versefeld and he came up to me and he, was, he had tears rolling down his face. And he hugged me. And in those days, you know, All Blacks didn't really hug each other. And he said, uh, he said, Sean, thank you. Thank you for doing something that no other All Black team has ever done. Um, to win a series in South Africa, I can die a happy man. Uh, so that's what it meant to that, that generation. But uh, yeah, it was a pretty cool moment. Well, Sean, that was awesome. That was actually incredible hearing about sort of your career and the sort of your insights in rugby and world rugby at the moment. I'm sure our listeners would have loved that. But that was actually such a incredible talk. Thank you very much for jumping on. Thanks, guys, and uh, keep well and uh, stay warm in Boston. And, uh, <laughs> Freddie, Freddie, I might see you down at the steep at some stage, or you might come to West Wales to see some proper rugby. <laughs> Either or. Thank you very much. Yeah, awesome. Okay, guys. Thank you, guys. Take care. Cheers. For listening to the Tap and Go podcast. I'm John Hardy and I'm a Loose Heads ambassador, the mental health movement normalising the conversation in rugby. Head over to looseheads.co.uk and get 15% off at checkout now with code TAP and GO. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.